Welcome to View from the Pool. My name is Robin McLaughlin, and today I am delighted to welcome Gareth Kirk, who is Regional Director for GLL. Good afternoon to you, Afternoon, Gareth. Robin. Great to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. It's been one of those busy, mad Zoom team days, I have to say. So this is this is a, a bit of lovely R&R for myself, never mind for yourself. Sounds good. Gareth, now, first of all, I'm just trying to recall the first time I met you, it, it wasn't that long ago, probably maybe only a couple of years, would it be? Yeah, a couple of years in Belfast, we'd have caught up yeah. and won the pools and had a tour yeah. around and a good catch up around lifeguarding and pool management and the industry as a whole. And I suppose you helped me a bit. I'm six years into living in Northern Ireland and Belfast, <laughs> another part of just helping the journey of getting um, used to the country, the challenges and just some of the great opportunities that are going across the whole of the North. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I suppose it's quite strange for me to be sitting and, um, you know, just not too far down the road from, from you and you're sitting not too far from where I'm originally from. So you're an Englishman in, uh, in, in County Antrim. I certainly am. I'll not give away your home address. <laughs> no, and it's a, it's a beautiful part of the world up here. I know your mum lives just down the road yeah, and it's, it's yeah. just a really pretty part of the world where we're massively accessible, but we've just got the glens of Antrim on our doorstep, some great beaches and just a lovely place to be, especially when we can't escape to some of the wider cities that we wouldn't mind visiting at the minute and get out and about as much as we'd like to with the the response to the pandemic, which we're all having to deal with at the minute. And it's finding new ways to keep ourselves entertained, keep busy mm-hmm. and innovate ultimately in work and try and prepare, hopefully for the coming weeks when we get everything back open again, which would be great. Yeah, well, we can talk about that in a minute because that's the other flipping $64,000 question. But I have to be honest with you, with when lockdown kicked in what just, just over a year ago, I was kind of glad that I lived in Northern Ireland and I wasn't in inner city London or Manchester or whatever. You know, and what we have, you really appreciate what you have, even with a, within a 10 mile radius. So I must admit, when I'm, when I'm, you know, when I'm going across to you, all your guys across the water, I always tell them about, you know, Northern Ireland and you know, what you can see and about Belfast. Not like it was in the eighties, you know. Once you get past that initial, oh, I'm not going to bloody Belfast. To you know, it's it's okay, and it's a beautiful wee country, and the people that eventually do come over love it. So, I think it's a great uh, it's a great thing that you've actually made the jump and, and moved over. No, it certainly is, and um, a lot of our team members. I brought a team of about eight or nine people back in 2015 when we first that's what, did the that's setup. Going to ask you. 2015 is when you yeah. came over, and. Yeah. It was a place that I naturally felt comfortable in, um, a really friendly city, and just such exciting opportunity in terms of mm-hmm. what the city council as our partner were yep. doing in terms of investment. Yep. A really traditional, um, old school sort of local authority approach, and some good things about that, but also some bad things. And we've been able to just work with a team and develop our, some of the best license in the UK. And the bit that excited me most and the thing that stimulated the move for me was that I'd, I'd worked in London, predominantly East London, for the best part of 14, 15 years, and it was time for a change to do something different. And the Belfast said it was a huge political and then kind of commercial driver in terms of move. But the city council putting £105 million into new leisure centres. Nowhere in the UK was doing that in terms of public leisure. And it was a great opportunity to come across and influence and shape a city which desperately needed um, big investment into some old stock and what the team have been able to do is just phenomenal and we've opened up four new leisure centers two new gyms and we've got another three new facilities to open in the next two to three years so it's just constant investment and we've just been able to completely change the landscape of the city and what's available to people i can Um, certainly vouch for that Did, did were you involved in the bid team for that we involved it was a kind of it was a it was a part of the process in terms of coming together with the city council and, and bidding the early stages and the focus was around saying look how do we create a model in a very um, traditional setup in terms of what Belfast had previously done but mould it with this new way of thinking into new product new facilities new programs that have gone in and then a new approach to the staffing model in terms of much more flexibility much more kind of you know can do in terms of look. We'll, will really be flexible across the work that we do and how we deliver it. And we've been able to throughout this phenomenal team. We were looking back at some stats just the last couple of years, and we've had 68 internal promotions in the oh, last yeah. two years. And I mean, that, that is just through something. the creation of a pipeline of new jobs, new facilities, and a phenomenal training package. We've got a great yeah. HR team and a great leadership team here that have been all around just developing people. Yeah. 
And it's so exciting. I've got people in our team that have had five promotions over the last four or five years because we've created this pathway in our careers. That's brilliant. It's superb. Really proud of it. And it's something that we're we're really keen to continue doing as we open up new centers is is Mm. take someone that, you know, starts with us, potentially a cleaner, a lifeguard, a fitness instructor, Mm. and give them a real pathway and show them how quickly they can move through that and make a real career. And these are guys and girls who are thinking, oh, I just want it as a Saturday job. And suddenly it's providing a mortgage and supporting a family for them. And they're loving it, which is great. Yeah. Because, I mean, I must admit, whenever I, in 2015, 2014, when we got wind, you know, GLL were coming into Belfast. And by that stage, I, would, I was already working backwards and forwards across the water. And I just went, oh, my God, these guys have no clue what they're taking on here. And probably you didn't, you know, <laughs> but but I, I am so impressed with how you, as an organization, you know, Better Belfast, isn't that what it is? And, and Yeah, that's our customer-facing yeah, brand. You, you, you know, how you've coped with it and handled it. And you, it's one of those things, and I suppose I, I would like to bounce it off you, you know, the politics of it all. Yeah. You know, I, I was, right, and, and I've never mentioned this to you, I was actually, um, assistant manager in Avenue Leisure Centre back in the day, right? I was offered yep. the job and I, believe it or not, I turned it down only because another opportunity came up. But back in the day, I, I was thought crazy that I actually turned it down because once you get into Belfast, made, you were set getting into Belfast Council, but you certainly were never going to move to another leisure facility. You know, so if I had gone into Avenue, that was it. Yeah. I'm aware, obviously, of how you guys operated, let's say, in, in Manchester. You know, if you had one site, you could move staff from A to B. And that must have been a bit of a challenge in, in, in Belfast in the early days to break down some of those barriers. Yeah, I mean, the, the early days were interesting. I look back on them with real fond memories, even though it was it was tough times. One is that we had a really clear vision and a plan. We, we generally believed that we could make a difference and we could transform this city. And we had amazing support from our local authority partner in Belfast City Council. They had that vision and that drive and they... They were very ambitious to do it. It's a big move to shift across a huge service, one of the biggest services yep. that delivers to say, look, we're going to put our trust in this social enterprise model and really make this work. So the, the bold step was taken. There was a clear vision on what we wanted to do, which was around delivering you know, a five-star product for a three-star price and make sure that we could be best in class, not only in Northern Ireland, but across Europe. And that's what we're certainly aiming for in the product offer that we've now got. And... In the early stages, for me, the, the only way I understand any community I work in, whether this is back to days in East London, working across Manchester now, Newcastle, your other environments, is, is to get in with the community and really understand it. And I was supported from the trade unions and challenged mm-hmm. by them. I was yeah, supported absolutely. by the councillors and challenged by them. Yeah. And I got out into the estates, we went and met with them, and I walked and taught the city. I really got to understand the, the challenges, the history, yeah. and try and just see it from where I knew it could go, understand or try and understand some of the history, which I never will fully understand. You know, I wasn't here <laughs> to will, through don't it. Worry. Um, <laughs> and just become really embedded in what is a really exciting and just sort of as a new dynamic of challenge, saying, look, how do we solve this where we recognize that some communities won't move in certain directions or go to certain venues? So how do we see that as a new dynamic, a new challenge, a business issue for us? And how do we start to break down some of that barriers? And you're right, in the early days, there were some staff or customers that wouldn't travel, but that, that's changing massively. It's a new city now. It's one of the most exciting cities to be in. You look at the skyline in terms of cranes, you look at the amount of new hotels that have gone up. We've got the big university moving down into the city center. And it's around big investment. Alongside leisure investment, you've got huge investment in the city center, despite the challenge of the pandemic. And we've got to continue to drive that. And you know, this comes in cycles, doesn't it, where... The city went through some difficult times, but now is in a big investment mode and we're attracting huge interest um, from FDIs, you know, certainly the yeah. states in terms of investment in IT. And that sector yeah. is is changing the landscape in the city, but it's still got this brilliant local feel where you walk into a city centre pub and some of them have still got that real traditional, you know, Irish feel about them where it's a lovely welcome and a good pint and you can really get to know people and have an open chat. And it's got that sort of sometimes village town environment in a big city space and it's such a friendly place to be and I, I think that once we get back open the hospitality sector the education sector and us as a leisure sector will fly in Belfast you're doing a good job for the uh, leisure and tourism board there and I think 
it, it's only, you know, I only recognized having gone away and done some work across the water that, and when people did come over, the likes of Andy Reid from Places Leisure came over and he yep. said to me, but he loved Belfast because he, he said you could walk everywhere, but you had everything and it was full of just independence. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but I think that's just amazing just how small it is, but that how many people you can jam into that little small area and all that friendliness. And I've, I've experienced it a lot recently. I, you know, I think it said, you're my young fellow players in a, in a band and they busk regularly. And I love it when they busk and we go down into Belfast. And, Brilliant. And you've maybe got, um, you know, one of the, the cruise liners have come in, you know, have started to yeah. come back again. And you've just all of a sudden an extra 3,000 people in the streets walking around. So that, that's fantastic. But what also interests me about um, what you guys have done with GLL was when I was growing up in the, in the, you know, in the 80s, when I was a student in the early 80s, Belfast was very famous for lots of different things, but one of the things that in particular was that there was more leisure centres per head of population in Belfast than anywhere in the world. Yep. <laughs> I mean, there was loads of them. Every every street corner, let's build a leisure centre. There was so much money chucked at Belfast in the, I'm guessing in the in the mid to late seventies to to keep us off the street to keep us off the streets. And you're right. And one of the challenges, Rob, is that the the bit that we got wrong back then in the 80s. There was a white paper written. Part of the solution to some of the troubles was to say, look, let's build these leisure facilities. And the the slight bit that we got wrong was that all the facilities were built were almost carbon copy, 25-meter tank, shallow to shallow set up with a four-court or six-court hall and a small gym, which meant that there was therefore no need to ever move outside your community because you had one at the end of your street. The whole leisure transformation program, which is £105 million investment, was built on the fact that we want to encourage movement across the city. And when we sat down five, six years ago now with the map of the city, and we had this £105 million phenomenal pot of money that hasn't been seen anywhere else in terms of community leisure investment, we made sure that every facility that was being built had a unique selling point that was specific to that centre, which meant if we wanted to draw young people across the city for a family swim up at Anderson's Town, yeah. That product there, which is absolute knockout, first drop slide across Ireland, um, standing wave um, set up in there, three brilliant slides and a great, enormous kids' water play structure. Yeah. Fantastic. Young people are fully provided for. And if you bounce across the east of the city, we put in a very strong focused club and swimming focused venue in Lishnashara. Um, eight-lane pool, diving set up. So we focus for the club environment, which means as a young person growing up, I can kind of turn right and head out to Andy Town for some fun on the slides. I can turn left and head across to Lishnashara and go and play water polo, join my swimming club and do that. And we're starting to see that. And similarly, you know, the city's infrastructure in terms of the glider system, which is our bus network, yeah. which goes east to west, is starting to stretch people. So it's more than just leisure centers. This is fundamentally changing the way that a city works, the way that people interact. And that talks directly to our social enterprise ethos in that we're not just here to get you fit and healthy. We want to create social well-being, mental well-being in this environment. And as we come out of the pandemic, that is going to be absolutely key to everyone. And tell me something. So we, you've got Listener Sharon, you've Andy Town, that were two big, big ones. And um, what? And then there was um, Brooke. What was the one in Lisburn? Yeah, Brooke. Brook was Brooke, developed. Yeah, um, yeah. Twin lovely, Brooke, which is lovely facility in Twinbrook. Flip me. And, you know, go around the drive-in there and you went, Twinbrook, my goodness me, look at that. And the light, you know, the lighting system in the pool hall is amazing. It's um, It was one of those things, when you start to challenge yourself in any of these build programs, is that you've got to keep going one better. And yeah, on each yeah. venue, Olympia was the first one we opened, which is a stunning bit of civic space as you drive up to it to you know i'd forgotten about that that's how bad that is that you've done so well with others i'd forgotten what an integrated facility the olympia is yeah and it it brings you know it's in the heart of the city in the sense of you know in a very neutral zone in terms of how we operate and where we operate two huge pitches and then just a great quality you know club offer for everyone and that that really kicks off the journey it set the standard we put an amazing spa into the facility and got a great spa team that deliver, you know, a really unique product there. And it's got everything you need in a quality modern leisure center. And each one we opened from them, we had to do something different. And Twinbrook was always going to be focused around outdoor sport. It's got a huge outdoor offer um, and it's got great engagement from the local community. We have such good coverage in terms of Gaelic sports, um, soccer, you know, all sorts of backgrounds in terms of getting people come in to get involved in outdoor sport. But we had the opportunity to put a pool in, but it was a relatively small 20-meter stock pool that we put in there. We said, look, we need to do something different. 
So we got in touch with a couple of different suppliers and we were able to come up with this phenomenal lighting setup and video setup where you can bring the whole pool hall to life as almost like a disco setup, which is perfect for young people um, with learning disabilities or autistic children and start to really target a different market again. And this is all about saying, look, if you've got a child in Northern Ireland who would benefit from this product, would you jump in the car and drive 10 miles, 20 miles? People would drive an hour, you know, which you can get across on to come to this amazing product. So it's about something that we've got the balance between community provision, which has been the uptake We've got over 1,500 new members into Brook, you know, and it's been only open a few months in reality. And the place is buzzing like in a fairground. You get out on a Thursday night, every pitch slot's taken, the pool's busy, the gym's busy, and the place is flying. And if you flip back to what was the old recreation centre, we'd yeah. be lucky if we had three or four people knocking a badminton, you know, shuttlecock around because it wasn't used that way. And we've just brought that whole community together. And that's what it's about. It's saying, look, how do you take these areas? And it's... It's dead easy for a private company or a big operator to stick a, you know, big leisure venue in a, you know, the right part of town and it just goes like a fairground. To put it into a more challenging, you know, community environment and really make it work is is getting that special blend. And we've just got a phenomenal team, a great manager down there, a great local team, and the way they connect mm. is just working. Yeah, and that's what locals. our model is ultimately about. And, and the one that we've got on the go at the minute is a uh, refurb of the old Victorian. Yeah, so the three live ones, we've got Avenil, um, which is a replacement Avenil, which is a, a big soccer centre, an outdoor centre, which is underway and finishes this year. And then we've got, which really excites me, Templemore Baths, um, Victorian Baths, refurb, £70 million in a phenomenal bit of you know traditional estate, which has got all the history of the old Titanic workers, um, the old traditional slipper baths and... I've worked in a number of, you know, sort of Victorian projects over the years. Ironmonger Row Baths in London, um, York Hall, uh, Marshall Street in Westminster, GR operated. And there's there's something quite charming about those old buildings. They're a real challenge when you're developing, often quite difficult to run. But when you come in and just tour them and walk around them, they're just phenomenal. got that amazing bit of history. And Templemore's well on the way. The guys are doing a brilliant job of developing, and it's going to be a, a great asset, another superb asset for the city of Belfast. And, and in a very historical place, as you say, do you know what? I am jealous as hell. <laughs> I'm just sitting listening to you talking to me, and when I think about it, there's not many folk would have had that opportunity that you've had that you're experiencing at the minute anywhere in the UK to, 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 yeah. sit, to go in, here's 105 million, here's a blank sheet of paper go and suss out the community and go and do something with it. I mean, there aren't too many cities in the UK or people that, have, that are doing what you're doing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it, it's a real once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There'll not be this level of spend again in a single city purely on public leisure. I often say outside of a kind of a, a major game cycle, Commonwealth Games, Olympic Games, you'll not see £100 million put into a city. And Belfast, really, I've put the money where the mouth is. They say, look, we are going to, change communities and drive change through top quality provision great program and great people and bringing that together you, you can't just build a showroom i used to sit in the architect and say look it's brilliant you know a nice shiny showroom is lovely but we've got to activate it with great program and we've got to have great staff and great people that can bring it to life otherwise it just looks pretty when you walk around it and I, that doesn't interest me i would rather have it going like a fairground you know and not look great but we've been able to achieve all of that and, you know, continue to grow in terms of the city model here. But but other cities are moving on that. You know, we, I work with a team in Manchester and there's a yeah. phenomenal amount of capital investment going into Manchester at the moment. And what we need to do as a sector is, is showcase this to say, look, we're, we're not stepping back. We know there's big issues around revenue accounts and revenue at the minute because we can't even open our facilities to get the tills ringing again. Yeah. But there are some cities out there that are taking it seriously and, I've probably worked on 50 new builds in my time, 19 years across GLL, and it's the bit that excites me most. Yeah. Taking those, you know, architect's drawings and saying, look, how do we bring this to life and make a really exciting venue is is the bit that makes me tick. And we've got, you know, a number of new build developments on the way at the moment. There's one up in um, Carlisle, which I know you've got a link to. I was chatting to Tom Rice this morning, um, and he's developing the new Sands, which is another really exciting venue. Um, big, big bloody place, to Tommy. Yeah. yeah. And it's also about the diversity of what we offer. I think sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll draw this back at some point to the lifeguard bit, but it's 
you know, the, the Sands is a great example of not only a, you know, the hub of community leisure for Carlisle, the city, but it's also that phenomenal events venue, which is the stop between England and Scotland, where all the great giggers, comedians stop off. And we've got a phenomenal events trade there. So it's another bit of the business um, that we do. And just the, the diverse offer, which GLL have been able to develop in and really maximizing connecting with communities in different ways. I think what, what I like in your whole approach as well is the fact that it would have been so easy just to do, as you, as you say, take a stock design and just bang it in four places. And I really appreciate the fact that you've, you've got the USPs for each site. Um, I'm going to throw something at you here because it's just sprung to mind. <laughs> and if I have to cut it out, I will. When I was, right, okay, so back in the late 80s, CCT. Yep. I was I got a job in Scotland, right? It was a job I didn't expect to get. Um, I was the least experienced, I felt at the time, to go in from a little place in Northern Ireland to go over and look after these, you know, three major contracts in Scotland to get it ready for CCT. Yep. Now, to this day, I'm convinced that I was brought in as uh, because I was an outsider mm-hmm. and because I got away with murder. And, and yes, I had to understand about the, because it, it, there was still that there was cultural diversity as well. And it was about doing X, Y, Z. And just talking to you, I mean, I, I genuinely think that because you guys came over from England, you probably were able to pull this off because immediately there was no, there was no um, Northern Ireland politics involved. It was, this is, you couldn't blame anybody for anything. It was just, this is somebody coming in. And as you say, proving your worth, talking to all the right people. And there's no hidden agenda. Is that me just looking out through rose tinted spectacles? Possibly a little bit. Cause right, I would okay. say there's, a, there's a huge part of my job, which is, is massively political because it's still, you know, every step of every build and whether it's down to, you know, how big the slide is, you know, what yeah. color the slide yeah. is, oh, where me. the slide comes out. We, we got into all those discussions and debates, but, I enjoy that. I don't have an issue with that side of the politics. I think it's good to get stuck into that Healthy. and you know, do it. Yeah. I think coming from the outside in, I think what, what it craves is curiosity of I was asked a lot of times like why on earth would you do it? And you know, why did you leave East London? You you I, at the time I was managing fifty venues, a team of two thousand, and I came to Belfast to manage what at the time was a quite a small team, but this phenomenally yeah. complex and interesting project. And I just loved that it. It, it completely took my career in a new direction in terms of the skills that I had to use in terms of negotiation skills or, you know, political positioning, um, networking, working in a new environment. And it's just brought this new approach and new thinking. It, and it's helped me massively in my wider voluntary role as a, as a board director with GL to look back in from the outside in, you know, spending 14, 15 years, becoming very London centric and seeing that as the, the hub of what happens. And then, moving out here and looking after the north of England, Northern Ireland now, I have a much stronger appreciation of us as a UK-wide company, which is very much what we are positioned as now operating across England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. And that has to change. But the the politics is still vast in every city that we operate in, and, and even more so now. And we're going into elections in another city to operate in England this summer, and that that's going to bring a, a heightened sense of, of challenge. Um, but also, it's about dialogue. I think one of the challenges that we need to create that dialogue. People need to tell us what we want. We want to engage with communities. We we need to understand what people want. And we've got some really good ideas where we can genuinely change cities, not just about, you know, getting a few people more people in a pool or getting people active with sport. We can really improve the health or have an impact on antisocial behaviour and really change communities. And when you first start out, it's not that's not really your driver. But when you start to see this social enterprise model working and connecting with communities in some of the cities we're doing. The, the teams are doing a phenomenal job. But it's about ownership. They need to, you know, our partnership manager, general manager team, say, look, you've got to own your city. You need to connect with everyone in that environment, um, from the education sector, from the police, um, through to the hospitality sector. So we're talking because we, we're such an integral part of life for people, whether that's creating the life skill of learning to swim or an outlet of going to the gym or a class or the place where someone just comes to meet people because it's a social interaction. We, we've got to be that integral part of every community we operate in. It, it also seems to me that you have, you've kind of got to work a bit harder in Northern Ireland because oh, there's so many disjointed organisations. I listened to a lot of the stuff that's going on in, in the recovery conversations in England 
after COVID. And there's so many, you know, there's one department that have everything in it. So that must be interesting for you because you've got, you've got to go out and reach out and connect to all these different, the health services and the, the, the housing executives, all these sort of things that don't exist across the water. I, I think the bit that's slightly different here is that because I work London for so long is that London is this, this you know, mass metropolis of people. And the chance of you bumping into a connection again on the tube is unlikely. Is no. Whereas in Northern Ireland, if you make a connection with someone, you know, we're, you know, really strong advocates of the social enterprise sector. We're closest social enterprise in Northern Ireland. It's got this phenomenal member body of people. And it's probably one of the strongest member bodies we're involved with. Really? Okay. Because they generally care. And the connections that we've created through that body, we'd be one of the bigger players in terms of scale and size and staff. But actually, we work alongside some brilliant local social enterprises, real human-facing organizations that, you know, have got a face. So actually, the irony is that I actually feel more connected because I can go and, I don't know, stand in City Hall, and within an hour, I could see 10 people that I connect with really well. And we could sort out an issue around social enterprise, a college course through the local college, a you know investment with a local transport company that want to help support students getting around or kids into school. And suddenly you've got this connection. So I actually think this, this parish element of the city but that's a is good brilliant. Yeah. And yeah. I'm trying to instill that in some of the other cities we're working now. So you've got to connect. We, we traditionally were, you know, a leisure organization, our old swimming bath organization, we've grown into, you know, at times went down the health and fitness gym operation route. And we're, we're coming back to what we just need to be a really strong social enterprise. And to do that well, you've got to connect with your communities. That means connecting with everyone and starting to get your head up above the parapet and get out there and understand what people want and need. And Belfast has taught me a lot about that. And we're trying to take that kind of mindset on the road a little bit in other cities where we we're not just the gym operator or the pool operator. We can offer a lot more. Do you think uh, um, GLL as a social enterprise, would you, would, there aren't too many others would be as focused on you on that, is there? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, as far as, you know, the, all the, the bigger leisure operators, let's say. Yeah, I mean, there's, it, it's a really sort of thorny debate because there's, there's some operations out there that have kind of tried to mold with the model and I don't feel they actually step up to the plate sometimes to say that they are real true social entrepreneurs or acting up to what the name says it should be. And ultimately, we are a charity. Everything we make gets reinvested back in our staff, our programs, our you know product ultimately. And that's what it's about. It doesn't go to any shareholders. Um, I'm the company chair, um, so I oversee the governance of the organization. And we have um, just shy 2,000 society members, so people that stand... Um, for the organization, ultimately staff, we own the organization. So we've got a really unique model, employee-owned model in terms of our setup. I must admit, when I, when I first became involved in GLL, you know, going to a GLL site 10, 12 years ago, it was it took me a while to get my head around how, how the hows and whys you did. But when I, when I see it in operation, I understand it. And, you know, I understand there's a, there's a place for all different types of operators, and that's why some go someplace and some don't go elsewhere. But listen, I know, God, we've talked a brave long time about that. So I'd like, you know, let's read this back a little bit. First, first of all, where are you actually from and how the hell did you get into swimming pools in the first instance? No, it's a, it's a good point. And you're absolutely <laughs> right. And for, for your show, Robin, the, the ticket, as you say, to get on is yeah. about being a lifeguard. So if I kind of go back to, I studied at Hull University. I was, I loved water sports. I was into yeah. surfing and diving off piers yeah. and I love wakeboarding now. So it's interesting. Tombstoning then, were you a tombstoner? Yeah, I wasn't quite that risky. No, not quite that risky. Um, but I was never a big fan of swimming. I wasn't a swimmer. And I can remember at university, I was studying sport and management, joint honours degree, and I, I knew that I wanted to swim in that space. And we did a module on swimming. I was like, oh, God, you know, it's not really what I want. And they taught you all the technique. And at the end, um, I was in a relay race with four of my good mates, who I'm still friends with now, 20-odd years on. And it was just a 50-meter race, 25 meters down and back. And I remember diving in, giving it everything I got. And I had to stop at the other end. Yeah, I was just <laughs> done. I had, I had a wee rest, got halfway back up the pool, had another rest, sort of scooted along the side. And, eventually got out, and they were killing me. They were like, how on earth did we lose that? Because I'm mega competitive as well. So I was coming out of university and I was like, look, I definitely want to work in the industry. And I love working with people and I love working around sport and GLL at the time, Greenwich Leisure Limited, had a graduate training scheme. We still run it today. And it it's 
arguably one of the best training schemes in the industry. It's a two-year program which puts you through all the different roles that we've all done um, in leisure and guide you towards management and growth for the business. So I joined GLL. I went down to our head office, which we're still in, in Woolwich, East London. I was interviewed by Lorraine Petrinos and Andy McCabe, who've been great supporters of my career over the years and helped guide me. And I just started this phenomenal training program with a team of people. We probably had 30 leisure centers at the time as a business. We're relatively small. We'd had two or three partnerships. Mm-hmm. And I went off to do my MPLQ qualification at the time um, down at Elton Pools um, with Alan Ritchie. And Alan's um, he's a fellow board member, our treasurer, and he's a, our national trainer and has trained oh, hundreds and thousands of lifeguards over the years. And he instilled in me from day one just the importance of lifeguarding and safety. And it's something that stuck with me, you know, throughout in terms of everything we do. Elton Pools is no longer there. It was replaced with a new Elton Centre um, probably several years ago now, 10, 12 years ago now, and I moved on from that. And I did a number of placements, including the lifeguard role, and I worked in East London, which yeah. was a tough gig. Yeah. Um, because we had, at the time, free swimming back in the day. The government is a sort of pre-Olympic Games, you know, oh, mid-2000s. Yeah. And in the wisdom, we decided we'd just give kids free swimming. So it was like a ticket where even if they didn't like swimming, they'd all come swimming, and half of them couldn't swim. So they just used to plough in in their droves. So as a lifeguard, you were just plucking them out of the water. It was... Great training. It was good times. And they used to queue up in sessions at the time. You'd be outside East Ham Leisure Centre or Balaam Leisure Centre or places I lifeguarded. And they'd be queuing 200 deep to get in for the sessions. And you'd kind of open up the turnstiles and they'd just flood in in Boom. swarms. And then you'd have to clear it out. And it was it was brilliant because London is such a place to cut your teeth in terms of operating pools and running pools because it is a busy, busy city. And when we get hit, we get, you know, hit hard. So then I started to move in, you know, to different environments, worked predominantly across East London. I was assistant manager at York Hall Leisure Centre, another place I really cut my teeth, the old tradition, the home of boxing in Britain. Um, in terms, you know, it's where all the greatest, certainly British fighters have fought there. So I did a little bit of running the bar there and, you know, managing some of the events and then working the pool and the gym. Um, I went through a big development there. And then my first general manager job was up at Barnet Cocktail Pools, which was, you know, 225-meter tanks, diving pool, and a, a great setup in terms of pool offer. And that's where, you know, I had a couple of incidents up there. And I think that the message which you've heard listening to some of my colleagues on the other podcasts, you know, how you, you deal and respond to these incidents and how they shape where you went. And we had a couple of incidents there and the, the ones that stand out to me, one of them, I was in training from seven in the morning till nine and the incident happened at 10. I think it's the one thing about the lifeguarding role and the thing that stuck with me and I'm, I'm really quite hard on my team now. It's the importance of training is key because if I'm trained at seven in the morning and in seven's at 10 a.m., I am fresh and I am going into autopilot when I hit that because I know what I'm doing. And I think it's the one thing that puts this part of the, the sector, you know, on a pedestal. It's just that we have got to keep that regular training is just key. Um, and I, I love my time up at Barnet. Learned a lot. Worked with a brilliant team up there and then moved on to Ealing and ran the partnership there. And this is where the, the kind of fun and games of Leisure Centre name comes in. And we, <laughs> I can remember going down there. We were, we were taking over the partnership from a private operator and there was a Northolt Swimmerama was one of the old pools we had. And North I think Alt people used to come up with bizarre names didn't they in the day and it, yeah. it, it was a you know real traditional old <laughs> that's build. a cracking name really isn't it yeah uh, there was obviously one of those um competitions back in the day yeah. of let's come yeah. up with a name and yeah. some local kid would come with that so <laughs> move for that and again your life got was key and then progressed into regional management with GLL operating East London um across Newham Tower Hamlets Hackney Barnet Greenwich Wolfham Forest and just you know, loved it. Did a lot of new builds. There's a lot of diversity a lot of in there, isn't there? And a lot of different communities. Yeah, and alongside that, was really interesting. The governance have been a long-standing member of the GLR board and been the chair of the board for the last two years. And we've got a great team of people who are just passionate about making leisure work. And we were propelled by the twenty twenty game, uh, twenty twelve games back in London. Um, and that gave us just this platform for growth. I was part of a team back in 2008, myself and Greg Holland. Um, Greg was a great colleague and he's now with Fusion. Um, we were selected to go out to Sydney to work with SOPAC and the Sydney Olympic Park Authority. Um, 
And we worked there for three months, basically learning everything that the guys did around running the pools and um, ready for 2012. And it was just phenomenal. And it's, it's part of back to this innovation of, you know, how we approach Belfast in the early days or Manchester or some parts of the North is saying, look, you, we've got to stay one step ahead. You know, if we're going to run these Olympic pools in London in 2012, well, let's go and look at the next nearest guys that have done it. So we went and spent, you know, three months working shifts day in, day out, understanding what the Sydney guys did back in 2000. A phenomenal team, brilliant. Went down, spent time with the Melbourne guys um, at MSAC, um, Melbourne Sports Facility, and they'd run the Commonwealth Games in 2006. Mm. So a lot of what our mindset and thinking of, and I, I think this is true in your you know, industry, you know, we're constantly trying to better ourselves and say, look, well, let's look at what, what are people doing out there? And it was great as GLR to put faith in myself, great to get out and have a look at that. But it, it was another shape in my career, thinking that you've got to constantly evolve and do something different. I'm 19 years GLL, and the reason I've not moved on is because as a business, we just keep getting these great opportunities. Think, come on, another city comes on, another opportunity. We diverse into a new sector. Several years ago, we moved into the provisional libraries, and we're now one of the biggest library providers in the whole of the UK. And they're doing a phenomenal job. We've got a brilliant team running public libraries that are turning through. We've got some of the busiest libraries in the UK in our portfolio. And we're doing something different. So every time I keep thinking, oh, well, is it going to get a bit stale or bored? The organization reinvents itself. We try something new and moves on. And I think that it's a credit to, you know, the 28 years history. Uh, Mark Sesson, our chief exec, drives that in us. He, he certainly doesn't ever take foot off the gas. And he's, he's someone that drives me. But as chair in our kind of two-way you know, partnership of back and two of where we're taking this business, we, we keep pushing. And we're in a strategy day just this week. And every business is going through a factory reset at the minute. Everyone's saying, well, yeah. what is it going to be like? in the next few weeks yeah. and if you're not spending hours and days planning and thinking about and getting ready for that then you're going to struggle come you know may june july because you're not ready and you've got to get your thinking right because it's gonna be very different when we all reopen and habits can be different and we've got to be able to respond so that was a bit of a potted history of me lifeguard through into kind of management and then governance but i'm actually i like to talk there because one of the things i was interested in was a going to Australia and uh, Sydney and Melbourne. And did you get a lot of good pointers from those guys about how not to do it or what to avoid as much as what to to do? Yeah, we did, definitely. It was, um, I think we went out every night for the first six weeks, Monday to Sunday. So there was definitely um, an opportunity to get out and experience Australia and another great friendly city. You know, I talk about Belfast, but Sydney's another brilliant city, great people. Um, those guys had learned the hard way. And I think that, that, that what was evident to me, and it, it's about, you know, I was born in Scotland, the group in the sort of Northwest. I'm used to this kind of real focus, studying the hall and then the East London attitude, of, you know, working quite traditional, working class environments where people are happy to muck in and get really stuck involved. And there's a, there's a bit of mindset about GLL in that, is that, you know, we, we find, you know, if there's a problem there, we, we just see how we're going to solve it. We pull together. And when you got to Australia, I always remember we were running – it was the Australian Championship, so we had the best swimmers from across Australia. We'd specifically gone at that time to watch the way a pre-Olympic qualifying would work um, so that we knew exactly how it was set up. And I can remember them. It's televised. You've got all the TV cameras in. You've got your best lifeguards on pool, and you're in the kind of um, the comms box with your headset on. You're listening to everything. And again, a, a timing pad would go down. And some guy would grab the spanner, they'd be out, they'd be whipping the timing pad out in between race, dropping it back in. And, do it. and you just watched the, the speed at which that team worked and the fact that it didn't always go to plan, you know, because they were, we were there 2008, so it was eight-year-old, you know, stock in terms of, you know, post-games and, and things were starting to go wrong as they do. And it was, it was that just desire to keep putting it right. They also, one of the things that were really interesting was that kind of legacy um, development modes they just put in, they put in new products as well. So it was learning how the business had reacted to a post-games environment. Sydney was seen as a great games, but you know the, the venue and the actual park is way out of the city centre compared to London, which is still pretty central to the business. And I think that the London part is phenomenal in terms of the, the access and just the development that's gone on there. We operate the London Aquatic Centre and the Copper Box. And we've just loved being part of that journey and that legacy. And, the, you didn't manage that during the Olympics, so that was afterwards that was handed over, or did, were you involved in, we had let's a, just say, the lifeguarding of it? We had a lifeguarding team 
that directly supported in terms of event delivery um, in the games. And in my sort of day job role back then, we hosted in our patch about nine of the Olympic teams from the US team, in, you know, the teams that were traveling in terms of their training venues in our existing leisure stocks. We had to close down some leisure centers and actually have teams in training. So we we were heavily involved in the kind of background and then we bid for yeah. the operation oh, right. of the aquatic of center and then we were successful them. for the legacy mode, yeah. which, you know, is one of our you know, most stunning pools in the world oh, in listen, terms of it's, the setup. It's there. phenomenal. Um, there's two things I was going to mention because one, it intrigues me. This one is that who the bloody hell managed it during the Olympics? You know, was that just, was that like a team of volunteers brought in, uh, John used to manage a 50-meter pool, we'll get him in. Or how, I know you weren't responsible for that, but I'm just asking because I'm intrigued. How the hell did they manage that yeah, magnificent so, site? So the way it works is that there's, there's teams of people, and I learned this when I got to Sydney, that they kind of do the four-year cycle, and there's a group of guys and right. girls who are good at doing this. They're experts in their field, and they, they might bounce from a Commonwealth to an Olympic. But there is a specialist group. Um, Greg, who mentioned Kentrister, he actually did go in and manage the pool throughout games delivery um, was part of that team that managed it and we had some colleagues that were in there alongside those teams but they work on cycles as a contract it's about a nine twelve month gig that you'll get and you'll go and deliver it and what ends up happening is they'll they'll bounce forward to brazil or they'll bounce forward to tokyo and they'll go to the next one because that's what they do and they, they get on that cycle and it's the same actually across i've met some people who work in catering again and they they would deliver catering across olympic games but they just work and they don't get a day off for nine months 12 months of that game cycle and then they might take a year out because they want to travel a bit. And they, they pick up the next one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, that's um, really interesting. I've, I've always wanted, just always wanted to know that because right, the first time I was in the, um, the the Olympic Park and in that pool, you can't stop smiling. It just has that effect yeah. on you because you've seen it on TV and you've seen some of the great races and you can remember some of the commentary. I mean, and I, as I said earlier, I hate swimming. You know, I wouldn't be. Yeah. A, a big fan. And my wife is a competition swimmer, so it's like wherever you are in the world, the Olympics are on. It doesn't matter what time you've got to get up and watch watch the swimming. But it's just you're standing, you're standing, and you're looking at this massive big pool that bears no resemblance to what you're used to, and you've got this bloody big smile on your face. And then I'm talking to the GM, and he's talking about the television crews coming in and all this stuff that would be so alien to the normal GM. It's it's a phenomenal venue and. You know, everyone from royalty to A-list celebrities have been there and visited. It's hosted, you know, some phenomenal f- filming opportunities and then just amazing sporting events. You know, some of the best sporting memories that we'll have in our lifetime would have gone on either on, in the park or in the pool. And, you know, I was lucky enough to live in East London and, you know, swimming it. And I did get back to swimming. I said, I, I hated swimming. Early on. Yeah. I wanted to do long-distance triathlon and, you know, you do a three-mile warm-up swim for that. So it's... um you know, you get into it. So I'll be training the Olympic pool and to look up and look through those massive windows and look across the diving pool and see Tom Daly diving yeah, in yeah. and see the teams there. You just think, what an amazing thing to be part of. And I think that's the, the great balance we of what we do as an organisation, Gillos. We could be running a community centre out in, you know, the middle of nowhere in the sticks somewhere, but also running this phenomenal, you know, Olympic venue that has got some of the best athletes in the world. And, We'll continue to do that. You know, we're building a portfolio now of more elite venues that we operate. Um, and it's just another component of what we do. And it didn't necessarily start off as a trajectory there, but we've got a vision to make sure that we, we are a, a big player in terms of elite sport delivery across the UK. Certainly very friendly staff there. You know, it's, it's a joy to go into it. You know, I must admit, I enjoy it every time because it kind of has a little community, community feel. It's like a little town on its own right, isn't it? It certainly is, yeah. So, right, let's get back to yourself again. So we got ourselves up to London and G- GM, is that right? Yeah, so I've kind of done GM and then moved into running a number of partnerships across East London and within that doing a, num- a number of kind of new builds or refurbishments. We talked around Imonga Row, um, Kentish Bath, a couple of Victorian buildings which we transformed with the local authority partners um, and de- developed them into what, you know, are absolutely stunning venues and real icons. And then I worked on a couple of our Lidos as well, so operating Hackney, um, London Fields Lido, which was just a phenomenal venue. Again, a great venue to train in. And then Charlton Lido, which we're opening up next week um, as part of the opener of outdoor sport um, post-pandemic. And we sold out the slots 
for the first session within minutes. And we've seen this phenomenal outdoor swimming movement, but they are just these iconic venues, not only in London, but UK-wide, that that are on the map now. And people just love going there. And I worked on the Charlton Lido project 10 years ago now in terms of developing that and get it back open and running and allowed to cut a long-term lease again in terms of our mindset and foresight so look we, we want to do something local we're from Greenwich where we start off we, we need to reinvest in a product here and we, we took that on and we've made it into this again you know a thriving club community and just somewhere that has got a huge following now mm. and people the support we have from the public in terms of getting back open post pandemic has been yeah. just enormous and it's helped creating this buoyancy of just saying that we, we've got to get pools back open and we're just so pleased to see that we can get outdoor swimmers back in yeah. to our Lidos from next week. Do you think the Lidos will end up a bit like actually nearly everything in the UK at the minute? So locally I'm thinking of the Moran Mountains which had steady following all the years and then pandemic and now it's just overrun with people where down my neck of the woods Whitehead you know there's a Blackhead path and you used to be able to walk along it and now there's cars parked everywhere of people walking on it i mean is that going to happen in the Lidos as well we've just seen it all get much more glad to say health conscious yeah and all of a sudden i'm i wondering are we going to have the facilities to provide for all these people well i think it's it's a good problem to have isn't it i think that that's that's where we need to drive the message very hard to government around the response not only of health but sport and you know certainly mental well-being for people the lidos have have always been popular last four or five years lidos certainly i was running um london fields if you'd rolled up there at sort of two o'clock three o'clock even on average tuesday afternoon there would have been 50 bikes in the bike stand everyone cycled there it had this great you know local kind of hipster community of you know hackney that used to draw on and the pool would be bunged at a time which would be traditionally off peak in any other environment similarly if you go to chart lighter now it's got this following where we are really catering for just such a mixed group of people some people just want to bob up and down so they want to have a chat so they want to plow up and are training for the next big event um and i think they're great you know we we get away with it in london because we've got the the climate to deal with it through the summer but even our winter trade in some of those venues is phenomenal and um, to the point where we put lights up and we have swimming you know while it's dark there at, you know the venues so that that product has definitely moved on i think as we we come out of you know this lockdown period we're confident we're going to see a massive surge in use and activity i'm certainly punching out to get back in the pool get back in the the gym and do it and i i think we'll be able to run with the challenge is that some of these facilities are very high cost and we need to be able to build back up that member base and that use very quickly Um, yeah yeah i think you're right i think i think the population general is is has become more active and and had their eyes opened unfortunately it took a pandemic to do that but i think from some of these i know there's a lot of talk about different pools being closed etc but i think in general you know, it'll balance, it'll reset, but I think there will be, um, we will have a more active population about it. It's not, because Mr. Cynical here, I thought, listen, when the winter hits here, nobody will be going back up the Moran Mountains again. Yeah. This open water swimming lark, that'll be all right in the summer, but see over the winter, I'll knock it in the head, but it hasn't. The other question, of course, I need to ask you, you know, it, England has obviously got a lovely date of the 12th of April. I think yeah. Scotland has got, what, the 26th of April yeah, or something like that. It's in around yeah. then. And of course, in Northern Ireland, we've got bugger all. <laughs> so have you got, um, I'm not putting you in the spot, but have you got a, a, like a gut feel rather than, you know, an indication from a politician who said, I'm going to tell you something, Gareth, it's going to be such and such a date, but don't tell anybody. Yeah, I mean, we've, <laughs> we sort of spent the summer in Northern Ireland being relatively um, polite and quiet and just bided by our time. And we we just accepted that it was the right thing to do and we were sticking to restrictions and about five or six weeks ago, I could see that nothing was happening quickly. So we we reached out and have engaged with a number of MLAs directly to say, look, we want to speak to the health committee. We want to speak to people involved with mental health or young people and say, look, we can offer a solution here. So I spent the last two weeks, I've probably spoke to well, 12, 13 MLAs now. I've got another meeting with one tomorrow. And I'm just really starting to rattle the cage a little bit and say, look, we desperately need to get open. We have got hundreds of kids on our pitches breaking in climbing over the fences trying to get in and they just want to do sport they, they yeah. just want to do it so let us do what we do let's program yeah. it let's get our coaches out let's get people in and get blue. let's do it in a safe control it so control we are yeah. we're hammering that message hard robin yeah. here um it is frustrating me with you know 
a big part of my business in the north of England is open up on the 12th. The guys are excited. Yeah. They're coming back. They can't wait yet. The team here in Belfast uh, have got the hold your horses at the minute. Realistically, I think that the way that we're, we're approaching this, I think we're going to be mid-May at the moment at this stage, if we're really honest, in Northern Ireland. But I am doing everything I can to you know continue to champion that message to say, look, we, we desperately need to get things open. We've we've had such foresight. You know, ironically, we were the first to open back in the first lockdown yeah, in right. the whole of the yeah. UK, and we led the way. And yep. we, you know, look back at the team here. Um, <laughs> was brilliant because yep. we were going a bit steady than out of nowhere. We got pretty quick notice, and we said we'll go. We'd set up our COVID secure centre at Olympia, um, Agent Walker, our partnership management, a phenomenal job of setting it up and making sure our system's ready to go. And other laser operators actually from Northern Ireland came down to see us. You know, I said, look, let's see what you've done because everyone was a little bit unsure, weren't they? Saying, look, what, what do you do? How do you open? What signs do you need? You know, what's your one-way system? And we we really led the way in terms of, and it's been endorsed by the Cabinet Office now and other bodies saying, look, GLL's systems and procedures that are being delivered are, are the baseline of what the restrictions should do. So unfortunately, I think we're still in for a bit of a wait yet. Um, yeah, so you've got feelers it's going to be another month on top of what? where England is at the minute then? Potentially, unless hopefully, you know, everything goes well in England and people see the benefits and that's what we'll be using our case studies across the water to say, look, the guy's are doing great. Look how happy people are. Look how safe people are. Let's get the doors open. Let's get the pools open. We're still going to be operating under very tight restrictions. So it's, it's certainly not throw the doors open and let everyone in. It's going to be controlled. It's all at booking in advance and we need to get it right. But it's, we can't wait. I got, you know, 600 staff here in Belfast chomping at the bit desperate to get back to work desperate to serve their communities um and that's the same across the board our, our staff they love working with people it's why they got into the industry and we want to get them back yeah i think uh, unfortunately northern ireland being northern ireland there's a bit of politics involved rather than the science of it all because you know i think it's been proven well proven how safe and inverted commas leisure centers are but i don't know if you heard today in the news there was, there was a, a, a reporter from the bbc who's son committed suicide you know and one of the things he actually talked about was that his inability to get in to swim and go to leisure centers and that really really hit home to me today you know just listening to that because i knew i was going to be talking to you yeah and it's it's that other side of the picture that you don't that, that's got to be huge problems out there with young folks mental mental health etc and that's kind of just getting brushed under the carpet and i don't want to get all political and all this now but it's a concern you know, how long it's going to take us to get up and running again and i listen i understand there's a lot of science etc to it but you know my two lads are <laughs> they're signed up for a training program with you guys and they're just when are these boys opening again they're just bursting the gut they don't see the big 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 picture i think the young people have had enough and as you say your yeah. staff just want to get back to work uh you know lifeguards training again you know my two lads are breaking themselves you know i die in a pool in over a year yeah no and it's it's a big challenge for us all across the industry and we've you know we have been reaching out to staff with some online training and keeping in touch and doing that. But the reality is, you know, if the pools are closed, you can't get in train. So we've got a big task on our hands, certainly across England next few weeks, where we're getting people in ahead of that date, where we're mobilizing pools and getting people trained. I think the other thing I, like, I just want to touch on, you mentioned some of the ones is around top team. And one of the things we brought to Northern Ireland, actually, oh, yeah. in the early days was, um, was top team. I think it's just so important to train in that. And it, it kind of, it fizzled out to a point. We resurrected it within GLL, internally in GLL. We ran it for a number of years. Um, we actually had a lifeguard that passed away, and Terry Gregory, who was a guy I worked with oh, 17 years ago now, and it was actually named after him, the, the competition, for a number of years, and we ran it successfully across GLL, and we got really big UK-wide. It was scaled back, but one of the key things when I came to Northern Ireland sort of three or four years ago, I was like, well, we, we need to get this going. It'd be a great way to bring together um, not only our existing centre in Belfast, but the Northern Ireland. So we... AJ Morgan, the partnership manager, he kicked it off. He reached out to the other council um, partners across Northern Ireland. We've run three-year competitions now, so every year for the last three, we've been able to run it. And that's another thing I'm looking forward to getting back to in the summer. So, look, we've got to get that back on because it's a great way of bringing together lifeguards. And I was listening to, you know, one of their colleagues talk about it, you know, with, with fondness. Of just It's a great part of the, the industry and the sector of how we bring lifeguards together and train them in this really unique way. Um, yeah, because I had forgotten about it as well. I think it was Alex Blackwell mentioned Yeah, it, it was Alex who brought yeah. it up. And because, um, you know, I remember it as way back in the day being involved in that too, and it was brilliant. Just the fact that you were, 
again, it's probably possibly a Northern Ireland thing because, you know, everybody knows everybody just having that opportunity to go up against and we all hated Belfast, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, goes without saying. So, yeah, that'll be brilliant. You know, I, I must keep in touch on that one because I'd love to go and just sit and watch some of that again when it actually when it happens again. Yeah, we'll invite we'll invite you down definitely because the, the, the guys that do it for us um, who help us set it up, it's become more and more theatrical and more lifelike yeah. in terms of the we get makeup artists in to do all the the incidents and it's because it's just phenomenal and the the reaction is if you're a new live guy and you come to it for the first time, it's as close as you're gonna get to the real incident and it really because the pressure of you know people watching you and all that, it, it puts you on this phenomenal you know, almost life scenario of saying, look, this is what it could be like. And I, it, it's a real strong part of my DNA to that we need to keep doing that sort of thing because I think there's a... Training is key, you know, and I talk about that a lot. I think, um, I don't, I do a bit of work with Ruth, Ruth Lee mannequins. I mean, yes. I don't, you ever come across one of those, but I did some shots and movie for them in um, Wolverhampton. And I couldn't get over the way of this bloody thing, you know, trying to get it up off the bottom compared yeah. to Mr. Orange mannequin. And it was really interesting watching lifeguards struggling with that because they've never pulled the body up from the bottom. But Ruth Lee during lockdown have developed this lifelike mannequin. I mean, it's unbelievable. Now, it's about 10 grand mm-hmm. um, and it's used like the RNLI and all the rest of it and it flipping foams and it vomits and all sorts of stuff. But my goodness me, talk about real realistic. It's scary. It's so real. Um, but yes, yeah, so, but all that's, important the lifeguards are some of the best trained people we have and just didn't take it up a notch with what you're talking about the top teams etc that's that's just awesome i think it's yeah it's it's nice to kind of refocus and stuff like that that it's it's there's a bigger picture here we're dealing with yeah. uh one of the things just you know i know we're getting on in the day here but one when when did you get the step let's call it into the you know area contract manager or whatever what what was the leap there when did that happen for you I think there was a couple of things. One is that, you know, being in the right place at the right time is that I joined an organization <laughs> and we were growing. And it's one of the things that attracted me to GL. Like I said, we had 30 leisure centers we started. We've got over 300 cultural venues now across the whole of the UK. And we've probably refocused that. It's less about the numbers. It's all about quality now. And, you know, linked back to our brand, it's about offering a better service. So that, that our mindset's changed on the growth agenda, certainly. But joining an organization that's growing is what I'd recommend anyone that's starting a career. And it's the same as when I stood up in Belfast five, six years ago and was doing the pitch to the city, basically saying, look, this is going to be the place to work. This is a career. Because I knew we were going to grow massively. We've got double the amount of people on gym memberships. We've got three times the amount of kids in swimming lessons. We've grown the city. And with that, we've grown careers and opportunities. And there's people that would never even thought about working in our sector that are in. So I, I think that the driver was, you know, for me is, is join a growing organization and then two is just take every opportunity. And I was living in East London at the time and it was always typical that I ended up with the furthest away partnership or job was the next one that came up. And I ended up buying a motorbike because it was the only way you get around London. And I loved it. And it was kind of traffic light motor GP. And you used to just hop on a bike and just shoot across to Ealing in West London and then I just started to move around East London and just loved the the challenge that the different um, partnerships and different city environments brought on. And we were at a stage where it was just the, the growth of the sector was big. It was pre-budget gym environments. So we were make, you know, maximizing sort of post-2000, that kind of gym market. We had a good, strong um, health and fitness brand blended with a good swimming product brand that just allowed us to grow really quickly. And then... Off the back of the 2012 games, there was just opportunities UK-wide. So I did a number of partnership setups and mobilizations uh, across East London and then reached outside to Cambridge and got involved in other partnerships in York back in the early days and then progressed into Belfast and then more recently across the north of England, Manchester, York, Newcastle and Cumbria and Preston. So it, it's just grown with the... Yeah, has that been added to your portfolio? So like, did you get the, let's say, the Belfast portfolio and then... Well, you're doing all right, Derek. Will you take on? Yeah, that's, gen- that's generally the yeah. way it's worked in terms of development. I think sometimes it's not always about scale; it's linked with the complexity. And then there's also the the kind of the how far away from the central core it's been, and the skill which we've learned now. And you talked about this earlier, but I think we'd use the term chameleon quite a bit in terms of how we operate as a business. And 
my first advice to any sort of leader going into a new environment, like I did in Belfast, like we did in Manchester, I mean, is that it's just listening. It's just taking it and speaking to all the different sectors, not just the council partner you're working with, but all the people around the edges to really get what does this city really want? What does it need? You know, what are the demands? Let's not try and drop a blueprint over the top of it and tell them what needs to be done. So there's this chameleon that's needed saying, look, let's take all the good things we know about running great pools, running great gyms, running great you know kids programs, community programs. Let's listen to what these local folk want or need, um, and then let's bring the two together. And I think we're, we're starting to that well. And I remember the early days in Belfast, Peter said to me, you know, they were all trying to work me out, you know, why on earth is he here? Why would he leave, you know, yeah. the shiny lights of London? Can I asked you the same question. And, um, I said <laughs> yeah. to you guys have got it dead easy. I said, like, in East London, I used to run Newham, and we had something like 190 different nationalities living in Newham. So when you're choosing what sport to put on in the sports hall, is it, you know, beach volleyball, kabaddi, bowls, you know, table tennis, you had a hundred different ones to choose from. You know, in Belfast, it's Gaelic or soccer, it's rugby or hockey, and you kind of work it out really quick. And and that's just my very simple analogy that you listen to people, you listen to communities develop, and whether or not one community wants a hundred different sports programming or one community wants two, you need to understand what those two are or what those hundred are before you develop your product and and that's the real you know for me succeeding in those community environments is as simple as that the people that come in with these predetermined views that they they know best or they think they're just going to overlay a model is is where we get it wrong and where we've got to learn so i've loved that part of the journey because you you know you've got to solve the problem collectively you know what you've got in your toolkit but it's only as good as the environment you're putting into and it's dead easy to get it wrong where do you see yourself let's say in five years time Okay, how's putting you in the spot? Are you still yeah. going to be living in Northern Ireland, or you really are? I mean, Northern Ireland <laughs> is definitely is definitely home. I absolutely yeah. love where I live. Right, that's and lovely to hear. The, the great um, position that we're in, because you know, one, the change of the pandemic means that you and I can catch up five minutes down the road over this, or yesterday I could connect with twenty board directors um, across probably fifteen different locations and just solve some big strategic decisions, directional discussions, which help us move on. So I think that this will help us. So I don't think where you live overly matters in terms of that. The bit that is key for me, though, is that to go and connect properly with the new team in York at York Stadium, yeah. I've, I've got to get there. You've so get there, I need yeah. to get up and, and get down and dirty and talk about them and talk to the, the football and club. And that's easy now, isn't it? it? Yeah. And the, the, the reality is, as I say to people all the time, is the, the commute, for me, you know, when Belfast was up and running our Belfast City, I could leave the house at 6 a.m. and I could be in the office in London at 8.30. And I could be back home that night at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. And it's about mindset. I think anything is about, you know, I I love GLL as an organization. I love what we stand for and I love the people we work for. And as long as all those loves continue at that level, then that's what's right. All the other bits is around how you as an individual become dynamic and adapt. And you can see it as barriers, um, or you adapt to it and you change. And I think that we've been able to do that and grow as an organization. We need to evolve again. You know, it's, it's a real, I said it before, a factory reset for us as a business now to say, look, what does our organization look like in the next five years? So it's as much about the organization. It is about me and saying, look, can we, can we shape it? Because as, as chair and as you know, part of the leadership team, I want to make sure that it's, it's thriving, but it, it's much better connected in the communities that we operate. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think the pandemic has done wonders for the likes of some of the stuff you and I have to do in connecting with, with the four corners of the UK, if you like, uh, because it's become acceptable by those who didn't think it was acceptable. Um, anything's possible now, but you could, you know yourself, you can jump on a plane, as you say, jump on the six o'clock out of Belfast and you'll be in a meeting in London for eight o'clock. And it's, and it's easier than like my team driving from Nottingham to Edinburgh, for example. Absolutely. You know, I stuff them, you know, and it's even jumping on the Liverpool boat overnight. Yeah. You know, it's, but listen, Gareth, that has been a real pleasure talking to you and, and finding out a little bit more about yourself today. And it's a hell of a story as well, coming from that background, that leisure background, the life garden. And it obviously... 19 years in GLL. There mustn't be too many of you about that have done 19 years in GLL, I wouldn't think. Yeah, it is surprising. There's still, you know, the, the, the core team, you know, there's five or six of our director team were here at the start, and I'm probably a little bit later on the journey, you know, 19 years in, but there's, there's several of them that have done the full 28, and they're 
another reason that we stick around when we we get together we're, we're certainly glad at hammer and tongue it's part of the the success of the organization that we don't always agree but at the same time what we can achieve collectively is is phenomenal and has been phenomenal we've just got to keep keep at it um certainly through these difficult times yeah well it, it, it's a credit to you on, on a on a personal note i mean i i am so proud of what you guys have done in belfast it's you know it's a joy to just to to, to, to walk around some of those new facilities you know me i've seen more pools than many people have had hot dinners and you know i just look at them in a beam because you know i just think it's fantastic what what the city have done and what what they in partnership with gll so huge congratulations there and i'm certainly looking forward to, to what what else is going to pop out over the next couple of years so thank you once again robin a huge thank you for having me on it's been great to kind of reflect on it and it's great to you know connect with a, a northern irish friendly face um, <laughs> over the zoom call and you know we look forward to just sharing our message and i'll catch up with you on the pool soon once we can get back in yeah well good luck to that you know in that opening and let's hope it's sooner rather than later thank you all right mate all the best good luck all the best bye-bye bye bye, bye.